It's episode number 20 of Presentable, and I'm your host, Jeff Veen. We're joined this week by Jake Knapp. He's a design partner at Google Ventures and the author of the best-selling book, Sprint, How to Solve Big Problems and Test New Ideas in Just Five Days. We talk about the process of conducting design sprints and the remarkable value of getting your whole team in a room for a week. So let's get right to it. I'll tell you what, though, when I was um, much younger, so this is like 1994 when I moved to San Francisco, and I just remember driving uh, to the city and, and when you get like by the airport and stuff and seeing these billboards that had email addresses on them. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is the future. Like, I couldn't believe it. Um, and it felt like, oh, my God, there's other people in the world that know about this stuff, you know, because I had yeah. been I mean, I'd been living in Santa Barbara, which had, you know, and UCSB is like one of the very first nodes on the Internet. Like, I think it was the second or third oh, really? node. Okay. Yeah, yeah. UCSB was very, very early. And so, you know, it was a good, you know, it was te- techie and a student community and, and stuff like that. But like. That always felt like super geeky. Like the rest of the world has no idea right. what we're talking about. They had just barely heard about AOL, you know, with your modem. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and then to come to San Francisco and, uh, and yeah, literally email address on a, on a billboard. Because there weren't URLs yeah. really yet. No, for... I mean, 94. That's, yeah, there, there wouldn't have been, right? Like email would have been, I mean, I remember I, I was using email then. It was like Pine, you know. It's, <laughs> yep, yep. It's imagine advertising with that. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So anyway, it made me feel uh, th- that was, you know, sort of a, oh, this is a place where I feel like I belong that, you right, know, like, right, oh, good. Right. There's other people here. And it's not socially awkward to talk about email right. or web right. thing that just come out. Right. Um, but then, yeah, you know, fast forward a couple of decades and I'm like, <laughs> is there anything else we can talk about? Like, do any of you people make physical things? Can we talk <laughs> or help people, you know, get better or like anything? Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I, I just found that almost every social engagement was just always filled with tech people. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's a nice change to, to have a more diverse set of uh, people that I hang out with now. I guess I like it. Um, I was thinking back when uh, I first met you, which was when we were both working at Google, right? Yeah. That was a, a few years ago. I had Irene on the show recently, and we had a yeah. great conversation about the old Google days. And I had totally forgot about that when I invited you to come on the show to talk about your book and to talk about design sprints, but that you, that you and I were also at Google uh, years ago. And I remember, I think the first email you ever sent me was, hey, dude, where do you get your shirts? <laughs> yeah, well, cut to, I mean, you know, you, you had just become my boss, but I thought like, before we get into any of that, we need to cut right to the, right to the chase because. That's right. So, yeah, so there's a, yeah. there's a bit of precedent for tall dudes on the podcast. Cause I had, <laughs> I had Craig Hockenberry on the show uh, a while ago, a few, uh, maybe six months ago. And he's like six, eight or something. He's oh, yeah. super, super, super tall. Um, and so we had a nice little intro to the podcast about just the woes of being outside of the bell curve when it comes to uh, physical attributes. So yeah. know, trying, to find, trying to find clothes. And I, and I just remember, because here, how tall are you? You're also. I'm six. I'm almost six eight. Actually, it's a little bit point of a point of soreness for me. So I'm six, seven and a half. Uh, six, seven and a half. So really close. But half an I'm inch. Yeah, six, I know. Yeah. It's just, ah. And my, my son, actually, who's 13, is 6'5 now. And oh, my God. Actually, yeah, that, well, that was yeah. my story. Like, I was yeah. in middle school, and I crossed 6'4". Wow. Um, yeah. And I can remember vividly, like, summertime, laying on the couch with my shins just <laughs> aching 
They hurt yeah. so much because I was yeah. growing an inch a month or something ridiculous. And, yeah. And my body was just stretching. And Yeah, this morning I just, yeah, I just put on, you know, I was just getting dressed and I put on my, you know, jeans, what I thought were my jeans. And I'm like, these are his jeans. Like, they, and they, <laughs> like they you know, and it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's weird. It's, it is really weird to like look him in the eye basically. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Being tall is, uh, it's great, I think, but it's, but it does have those, those little gotchas <laughs> every now and then, like airplanes and, and, uh, clothes, clothes are tough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I hope you eventually found some good shirts. Uh, I still have a hard time. So, um, uh, another thing, you know, that we can talk about is that we kind of have similar jobs or at least similar design or similar titles, right? Like yeah. you're a design partner yeah. at Google Ventures. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So what, yeah. The, I guess my first question before we get into all the, the, the meaty stuff is like, what was your decision making to let go from being an individual contributor at Google? Uh, what were you working on at the time? Well, at the time that I came over, actually, I had a, I had a weird job, kind of a job that I had made up for myself. So I had been working on what eventually became Google Hangouts, but was mm. was just a sort of like video conferencing, you know, team, really more like a team collaboration, like enterprise uh, tool and got that kind of off the ground. And then, but I had started running these things that I called design sprints and then mm -hmm. it was working pretty well. And so I, you know, I said like, I'd like to make this my full-time job at Google. And actually Irene was super supportive of that and kind of helped me carve out a, a you know a little role for myself doing that so at, for the year before i came to google ventures i was just going from team to team to team at google running design sprints and kind of starting to get my footing and figure out how the, the process should be structured and how it should work mm -hmm. and then when i came to so yeah so when i came to google ventures it was it was kind of coming from doing that same thing within google then with the idea of like, I knew I'd be working with Michael Margolis, you know, Braden Coetz, who I'd worked with, and you and I worked with also mm -hmm. back on apps and uh, John Zaratsky, another awesome designer. And I knew they would really help me sort of make the process better. And then I also thought like, it's kind of interesting to work with these different businesses and not just do it inside Google. And uh, I thought that would be a really good kind of, you know, kind of an, a really unique opportunity to test the process out. And Google Ventures is a, a, a sort of firewalled from Google. Like it is a VC firm. Yeah. Uh, but it's also just, it's spending Google's money. That's right. Yeah. I think the, it's, it's, I guess it's Alphabet's money now, but oh, yeah, we all right. know where it comes from. <laughs> but <laughs> but, uh, but it's, it, the idea is that Google Ventures, and this has been the idea from the beginning and it's been sometimes it's it's hard to convince people that it's true but that we we really are operating on our on our own we're not operating in google's strategic interests so in many cases we are invested in companies that are competing with google and so the kind of the you know the interesting thing about that is that we would really go after the best companies regardless of what it meant to google and um, the companies that we thought were doing the most interesting things a lot of them you know not in consumer software at all though or, or even enterprise software but in healthcare and robotics and all kinds of things yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But, but really just trying to find exciting companies doing exciting things and and then you know the i think that idea of getting in there as a as a design partner to try to help them after the investment to become successful was 
That's an, yeah, it's an exciting idea. And I, I did not know anything about startups going into it, but have definitely fallen in love with, you know, that whole thing, the energy of that, of, of that moment in a, in a company's time. Yeah, you know, I, so I spend a fair amount of my time trying to help the founders of startups build yeah. design teams, right? That's part of the job that I do. And, and so I end up doing a lot of interviewing of potential candidates. And one of the things, and, and that's, all, that's kind of a, a uh, I don't know, there's both sides of the coin there. I am both like evaluating the person that I'm talking to as to whether they're going to be a good fit and they know what they're talking about and stuff like that, but also yeah. pitching them on coming to join the startup, you know, yeah, like yeah. doing both. Um, and one of the things I always talk about is that the startups are like having a job at a startup has lots of pros and cons, but one of the biggest pros is that the, the distance between an idea and a user seeing that idea implemented is tiny. Yeah. Like it can be measured in hours sometimes. And that kind of momentum is just infectious. Um, and it leads to lots of autonomy often in the, in the job, you know, like as a designer, you can have a lot of control that you would tend to give up in, in quote unquote, safer jobs at bigger yeah. companies. And I think that, that sort of infectiousness of, of it is, is something I keep coming back to. It's like, you can have an idea and you can convince just a small handful of other people uh, very quickly uh, of the efficacy of that idea and make something and put it out in the world. And people will tell you what they think right away. And boy, I, you know, my experience is some much larger organizations is that is not at all the case. So that um, is, yeah, that is often not, not the case, but, but yeah, it is. That is, it is amazing. And it is, it is incredibly exciting it is, it, to have the chance to jump from, you know, also from one startup to another and to just see that over and over again happening is, is, is really exciting. And I'm just looking at the uh, portfolio page here at the Google Ventures website. Yeah. By the way, nice website. You guys really oh, looking good yeah. on the brand. I, the rebranding you did last year, very, very sharp. Thanks. I, I have to give credit to Daniel Burka, Braden Coates for, for that. Anything that looks good, it really comes down to them and, and the yeah. people that they've brought in. I am, I, I, you know, we really have exceeded my visual design and brand <laughs> at level that you're in. But I'll, I'll sort of take the glow, you know. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's I'm uh, always always happy to give credit to Daniel and Braden. I think they both do really really good work. I like yeah. it. But I'm looking at the page here, and um, you've got a whole range, I think, of small to large, right? Like you you guys are invested in Uber and Slack and Stripe uh, and DocuSign, like HubSpot. Like these are significantly large companies, and you get a chance to work with them very often, or do you focus more on the like really early uh, companies? It has actually changed a bit over time. So in the early years of, of my time at Google Ventures, and I've been there for five years now. Wow. Yeah, no, it's crazy. <laughs> uh, we, were, we were making a lot of seed investments. And so those were, those were you know, the bulk of the companies and those are the yeah. bulk of the companies that I worked with. And so I, I really... I really almost have had this experience of almost like growing up, you know, with like a, a bunch of companies all at once because we started out, we were doing seed deals and those are the folks I was working with. And then as we started doing larger and larger investments, then it started to also make sense for us to spend more of our time with some of those bigger investments because we're trying to also make sure that we make a good return on our, on our fund. Yeah. So yeah. we're, you know, we'll often look for, not always the we're not always spending all of our time with the biggest companies, but it has shifted more so that the the bigger investments get a little bit more attention, mm -hmm. and that's been you know interesting too. And you you do see that there's this 
there's a big difference between how fast an idea can go from from designer, from founder to customer when a company has five people and also how focused those teams are. And so it's usually very easy for them to focus on what's most important to do next. And if it's not, that's a really bad sign when there's five people, but when they're, but, but you know, when they, when those companies start to be several hundred people, then it's, it obviously there's a whole new set of challenges and, and trying to figure out, how to help at, at all of those stages. And, you know, it's turned out that the design sprint has been pretty effective no matter kind of what size the company is. It's, it's usually good. No, no matter what's going on, it's usually good to focus on the most important thing and, and have a process to go through to, to do it, you know, to, to learn uh, yeah. whether you're on the right track. Yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, yeah, kind of have seen inside a lot of different sizes of companies at this point. So is that the thing that, um, that sort of keeps you going? Cause I met like you're doing sprint after sprint after sprint. And it, yeah. I mean, part of it, I imagine could be just a little bit like you're there for a week and then you're gone and then it's a new company and it's a new company. How does that affect just your motivation? Yeah, that's a good question. But I think the part that one thing that I guess is, is true for me personally is that I, feel like I've, um, I have built products, worked on products and, and seen them launch. And, and I know kind of how that feels when you are there the whole time from the, from the moment of inception to sort of the, you know, the launch and then after launch, making sure it works well for people and that, that people are adopting it, kind of the landing of the, the product. Mm -hmm. But, and that, and that does feel good. It is satisfying, but it, it is, it, I've actually found it more satisfying to have this kind of long-term sporadic relationship with these companies. So where we go in and we, you know, work deeply with this, there's this company, for example, called um, Foundation Medicine. And they're, they're, they've gone public, so they're not in the portfolio anymore. But we really got to work with them from the early stages through several, you know, and we would come back every six months and do a sprint with them and, and work with them on, in this case, they make a, a cancer diagnostic uh, it's a, mm -hmm. it's a test. And, and so really kind of, you, you'd have this long-term uh, relationship with them where you're helping them think about building their team, helping them think about the product, seeing the product evolve, how they're going to continue to test it and, and find out if they're on the right track and, and being able to see those points in time over the course of years makes it feel like more than just jumping around and, and, and gives you that feeling of like, you know, of progress and, and yeah. of sort of investment in, in, in a, you know, not in a financial sense, but in an emotional sense with those, with those products and those people too. I mean, you know, you get yeah. to, you get to really see those people uh, again and again. And, and so that part has, that has really been what's kept me going on it. And the, the chance to see inside when, you know, as you know, when you're, when you're working with a startup, cause it's kind of a level of like passion and enthusiasm and like, and the risk that's involved. And we don't really know if this is going to work for sure is so exciting and to see inside companies who are doing that for healthcare or doing that for, you know, for one of the companies we're working with is doing it for farming, this company called Farmers Business Network. And, yeah. and, you know, and you just, just to like constantly be learning about all these different domains is like, that is, that is really the thing that's been so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I had a similar uh, experience when I was at Adaptive Path, you know, doing client work yeah. uh, over and over yeah. again. And, and the diversity was fantastic. The business I didn't really enjoy, but yeah. um, I think that's one of the, the ways in which this role of design partner kind of crystallizes just the like 
I don't know, for me, like you said, the emotionally satisfying parts. Yeah, of, it's kind of the good the job. part. Without the like change orders and um, you know invoicing and all that. Yeah, kind of right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then there is also this sense, and I'm sure you have this too, of what you're doing at True, or you know what we've been trying to do at, at Google Ventures to try to establish our our team as a credible design team, and and to try to help build the the reputation of Google Ventures, and 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 so you you also think about that team of people that you're working with uh, right. within your own company and, and that's kind of it's a different kind of product but it is a product too mm -hmm. yeah absolutely I, I agree uh so let's talk about that process so you uh, you wrote a book about sprints let me see if i have this right it's based on a set of blog posts that you guys wrote quite a few years ago now wasn't it yeah um, it seems like because i found those blog like god i sent those to everybody i'm like here try this that's just cool. go this. <laughs> um, and what i liked about them is it was five blog posts t titled monday tuesday wednesday <laughs> right <laughs> It's just as clear as could possibly be. You're That's going really to the that. appeal of the idea right there. <laughs> I mean, but it really, it's, I mean, the way you structured it helps sell the idea. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah. uh, it's not some whole new rethinking about our process and everything. It's like, no, we're just going to literally like take a break and we're going to spend five days and here's what we're going to do each day. And it's really simple. I mean, it's very difficult, but it's very simple to understand what happens each day. And by the end of the week, we should have a prototype with actual human beings looking at it and testing it, and we should get some feedback. Yeah, it's, it, I think that the, the appeal has been in that kind of, it's a recipe. And, and it is, as you say, it's like, it's something you can kind of try as an experiment. You can say like, mm -hmm. look, we're going to, we can try this thing for a week. And then if it sucks, we can go back to, to the way we were doing things before without, with, you know, it's a, it's a commitment, but it's not a, it's not a crazy commitment. You don't have to change your, your business philosophy or the way your product team works forever. And that I think has been a lot of what's helped it to, to spread that. And I, I mean, I think it works. It, it worked, you know, people do it and then they're like, Oh yeah, that was better. That was a better way to, to get started on, on that big problem. But right. the ideas that are in it are mostly old ideas that have been around for a long time. They're old, good ideas, but they're, they're things people have been doing for a long time. So, you know, it's a lot of things that it's not like I invented, you know, design thinking or, or the lean startup. It, it uses a lot of those philosophies that, that people have been practicing, but I think it gives people a, a way to start. And sometimes the philosophies sound good. Everybody knows they want to do it, but they're not actually sure how to put it into practice. I certainly right. felt that way as a, as a, you know, as an individual contributor and as a member of different teams. Right. Uh, so you get a multidisciplinary team together. You spend a day brainstorming. You do some sketching. You turn the sketches into storyboards. You fake a prototype and you do a, a round of usability testing. Let's say sort of the, the process. That's pretty good. Yeah. I, I take a little exception to the word brainstorming because it often has connotations that are quite different from what happens in the sprint. Other than that, that is it. That is it. And All right. So, by so day. Give, me a, give me a better word for what you do on Monday. On Monday, we you, you make a map. And so um, the difference between brainstorming and what happens on Monday is yeah, brainstorming is usually everybody kind of sh shouting out ideas, or that's sort of a, a common model <laughs> for when people say brainstorming, what they picture. Uh, and, and instead, what we're doing on Monday is really trying to share information that's already in everybody's head. It's not, it's not really solution generation yet. And, and just put it into this really simple format, which we kind of describe in the book. But like, 
you know, listing out your customers, figuring out how they're going to move through this experience, whatever it is, and making sure everybody knows what the goal is of this project, which sounds really obvious, but is always, always, always a, a lengthy conversation. And, and figuring out what are all of the risky assumptions that we have, all of the questions that we have, the things that might trip up this project. And so the, the purpose of doing all that stuff on Monday is that by the end of the day, you're able to pick a target. You say, this is our target customer. This is the spot on the map where we are exposed to sort of the most risk, or there's the biggest opportunity if we can take advantage of it. These are the questions we must answer to, to be sure that, that this thing succeeds. And then with that, you know, if you spend a day doing all that stuff, then the rest of your time that week is really efficient. You're, you're working on the right part of the problem. So that's probably my biggest question about this is okay. that, that definition of scope. Yeah. And so in two, in two ways, one, when you say, let's all make sure we understand, have a shared goal, right? Yeah. How, how do you, how do you not make sure you're not doing something too big or wasting people's time on something too small? Like how, how do you level set that way? That, that is, that is an excellent question. It is not super easy to answer uh, concisely, but I'll say, I'll, I'll do my best. I think that the risk of running a sprint on a problem that's too small, I think is mitigated by the fact that most people probably won't clear their schedule. You probably won't be able to convince your team to clear their schedule for a week to work mm -hmm. on something that's too small. It's possible that you will, but I, I might not be able to help you if you if you have that you know if you don't have good judgment about how to use a whole week of your time. Right. Um, that's that's so I think that's you know helps a little bit just the just the expense of time that you have to put into it. On the other end, the the problem too big or the scope too large, you try to solve that by forcing people to choose that one target customer and that one basically that one like word or phrase on the map that's that that represents a single point in time in the in the flow. And so if you think about one person at one point in time using you know, whether it's software or, or a, yeah. you know, a, a, a restaurant or whatever, you can simulate, then you're, you're thinking like, well, that's a really important moment. And if we, it's, it's usually reasonable that you can simulate what's going to happen in that moment uh, through, through mocking something up or through, through acting it out or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you can simulate it in a realistic way. And then even if your problem is really large, uh, oftentimes if, Finding some progress on that one spot helps you figure out part of the rest of it. So I usually don't worry about people taking on something too big because the things that are too big, people usually need a way to start. They need to get concrete and not try to come up with some perfect system that figures out everything all at once. This week's episode of Presentable is sponsored by Dice.com. Dice has been helping tech professionals advance their career for more than 20 years. They have the tools and insights needed to give you an edge. The Dice Career mobile app is the premier tool for managing your tech career from anywhere. With thousands of positions from top companies, you'll find exactly what you're looking for. Wondering what's next in your career? DICE's new career pathing tool will help you learn more about new roles based on your job title and skills. They'll even show you which skills you'll need to make the move. The DICE Careers Market Value Calculator allows you to understand what your skills are worth. Discover your market value based not only on your job title and location, but based on the specific skills you have. Don't just look for a job, manage your tech career with Dice. Download the Dice mobile app and learn more at dice.com slash presentable. Thanks to Dice for sponsoring this show and all of Relay FM. So you get a group to agree at the, uh, the thing that they're gonna be sort of working through for the rest of the week, and then you can get them to start drawing 
Uh, do you get a lot of pushback from that, or do people f- uh, find that pretty comfortable? People are people are I think antsy about it. Usually when uh, when they on the first day I show a, I always show a slide deck, and then we have this slide deck available on the thesprintbook.com, which is our website with materials for the book. Um, I show this slide deck, and it shows kind of what's going to happen throughout the week, and then when it shows sketching. There's always, you know, some like, there's some grumbling or some like bashful, like, I don't know if I, you know, and, and what happens though on Tuesday is that uh, the sketches are done individually and we really emphasize to people that it's, it's really, it, almost everything you need to do can be accomplished with writing words and drawing boxes and drawing stick figures sometimes if it's a, if it's actually like a human interaction. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that like really pretty much everybody can do that. Some people struggle a little bit to make their handwriting legible, but, but, you know, but apart from that, we're not asking people to, to be like super creative or draw anything, you know, fancy. We're really just going for, uh, for detail. And that detail usually comes in the form of text. And so that I, I have found that by the time you also break down the, the process of doing a sketch, and so on Tuesday morning, we're showing people, having everybody look at, at inspiring other solutions that are out there in the world and f- noticing the patterns, which is something designers are doing all the time. But right. as you start to show, you know, whether it's an engineer or somebody from sales or the CEO, whoever it is, you start to show them like, look, this is the pattern here. We can abstract it out. And then when you draw your solution, you can take parts of those patterns. Um, that helps people. And then, you know, we just break the sketching down kind of step by step. And so by the end of the day, yeah, I, I have, I have noticed very little resistance. Um, but, uh, but it's, it's, it's part of that whole thing of having a process and having a recipe is unpacking all of the individual steps so that it's not like this daunting, here's this blank paper, like draw something amazing. We don't do that. And when you say that the kind of the core of the sketching is text, you mean like interface labels and the words that will be on a screen, right? Yeah, I mean, if it's software, yeah, that's yeah. that's that's true. And I think it's it's kind of a little bit. It's been kind of surprising to me, actually. I I've been pushed more in this direction by uh, my colleague John Zaratsky, who's mm. uh, you know, he was a journalism major like like you, I think, right? Yeah, uh, like and, uh-huh. and so he he really comes at design from a standpoint of like, look, the words are. Most of what we see on the screen is words. There's, you know, we might not be aware of it all the time. We might be thinking more about how it looks or something. But, but the the core of uh, of most products is really words. And so, if you get those words right, and if you don't write squiggly lines or lorem ipsum, but you're serious about what do these words say and why are we why are we saying these words in these places? Yeah. And you think about how people step through in a story and the words that they see and as they go through three steps of something you've gone a long way to figuring out how the product will work and you've made it really concrete. You've made your idea that's abstract really like people can then look at it and evaluate whether it makes sense, which is pretty powerful. You take a bunch of sketches and you then sort of, now do you do the voting? I I have been involved in, in sprints where they, you know, put all the sketches up and then people sort of put little stickers on the ones that they like. There are some stickers involved. There's (laughs) okay. So the idea on Wednesday is to, Use the the sticky dots, the the stickers, to sort of facilitate a, a better decision making process. It removes some of the biases and the groupthink and the the messiness that happens if, as a group, we get together and try to 
you know, come to consensus, which is usually bad, or if somebody just like comes in and just makes a decision unilaterally without hearing from everyone, which is also has some, some downside. So what we do is we start off with these little tiny dots that um, they're, you know, they're like little, maybe the size of like the, uh, uh, you know, pencil eraser, kind of teeny tiny dots. And we make a heat map. So everybody's going around looking at all these sketches and they're all up They're They're anonymous. They don't have names on them and they're all going to be roughly the same level of fidelity. So you don't have somebody who's amazing at Photoshop or sketch making some like beautiful thing, you know, and printing it out. Everything's pretty much looks the same. And that's because you put so much emphasis on time, right? Like you set a timer and say, draw, 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 hurry. Right? Uh, you actually, actually, no, on Tuesday when oh, you draw, don't. We, we do have a, we do have like one exercise that is timed for drawing. And it's just kind of to get people to consider different approaches. But when you sketch the mm. solution, we'll give people like an hour or more to, to sketch their solution so that there's no oh, okay. rush, okay. there's time to screw it up. There's time to really put in detail. And in fact, even if people want to take it home and finish it as like homework, they can, but there, there should be plenty of time, like kind of during that, that sprint day to do it. Got it. Got it. So that they, comes later with, where it's all. Uh, time yeah day. yeah so it's like it's thoughtful and it's considered and the sketches have have all that detail in them so when people go through they're really reading the text they're you know they're kind of experiencing it this is the first sort of usability test almost for these yeah. ideas and they're they're putting dots by the pieces that they think are are interesting or strong in those so solutions. just parts of the interface not like i like this drawing right but like i like this menu or this this word right here yeah perfect. exactly yeah yeah this headline is really strong or this you know yeah what's going on here with this menu or this this structure here is great and what happens then is you you know a, an idea doesn't fall apart because it has one week screen or you know one week frame in it and uh and then when we review through we've got like 10 competing solutions so the next step after those those little dots is to do a critique and we do it. We we time. We do time the critique. So this is where the speed kind of comes in, because we're trying to compress. If you've got ten sketches and you spend like three or four minutes on each one, you can kind of then hold in your sort of working memory what they were all about. And if you talk, you know, if you talk endlessly about each one, then by the time you get to the last one, you have. You're, there's always going to be some recency bias, but you just have a tremendous amount of recency bias because you'll have forgotten the first sketch. So we do try to move through that stage pretty fast. And then uh, then we use stickers again. So then we're using stickers to do what we call a straw poll vote. And the idea there is everybody puts their initials on the sticker and they're saying, you know, this is what I would prototype if I were the decider in the sprint. I would I would go for this one. And, uh, but, but that doesn't count. That's just to sort of provoke a discussion. Everybody can then sort of, you know, tell the, the decider. And that's an important part of the sprint is having one person who's designated to make the decision. And so then, then she makes a call. We, we try to give the decider like two, three stickers so that, uh, we're going to have sometimes two or three competing prototypes. So Wednesday is all about doing all the presentations and, yeah. and pulling it all to taking all the best bits and synthesizing it into a storyboard. Yeah. And we take our time with that because making those decisions well and then figuring out what the storyboard is going to be, the plan for the prototype is really important. Uh, we want to we want to take our time on that part. And then somebody has to build something. Yeah. And so hopefully if you've, if you've done all those things on Wednesday, you're really well set up to move fast on Thursday. So by having the storyboard, by having been really thorough about what's in the sketches, having a lot of detail, the text is all written out. 
Um, it's usually much, much faster than to go and, and build a prototype. And the, the whole philosophy on Thursday is a facade. Like it should look like a finished thing. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't look like a wireframe or something. It should look real, but it doesn't have to work. You know, it doesn't have to have anything behind it um, unless absolutely Just necessary. kind of hot spots to click around on. Basically. Totally. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's interesting because that, uh, you know, to me, like the, the idea of doing a prototype in a day, oh my God, like how can you, but you have really kind of divorced decision-making from drawing. Right. So it's really just like, we're just literally translating what I see on paper into a higher resolution version of itself. It's almost copying. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it is actually, I, I think at least really fun because there are, there's this part of design that, I mean, it, it, it's fun, but you're like, you know, if you had to produce a, a high fidelity design of something, a prototype in a day, and you hadn't done all that pre-work, it would be really right. aggravating because all of the other right. thought that goes into design, all the decision-making on um, thinking about who the customer is, you should be thinking all that stuff. So you're, so you've done all that already. You don't have to wonder and you just are making, and that can be really fun. And that's a subset of the team, right? So you're not necessarily asking for a full five-day commitment from everybody that you have around the table. It, yeah, it depends. We often will be able to do the prototype faster by dividing it up a bit. And so uh, oh. it would be common for us to take, you know, if, if, you're, if you're making something and it's a, it's a medical report that you have to produce by the end of the day, and you have somebody who's designing what that report looks like, and then you have maybe yeah. somebody who's, who's a doctor on the team who's actually writing up, this is what the text should look like, because otherwise it's oh, not yeah, going to yeah. be realistic. So there's stuff like right. that. Um, yeah. and sometimes we have somebody who will go out and get you know, the images that we need, take the photos, or if we have a video in the prototype, there'll be a couple people working on the video, a couple people working yeah. on the screens. But, um, but yeah, often there's folks who can go back to kind of catch up with what's been going on in, in the rest of the real world for them on Thursday. Got it. Yeah. And then, um, then you bring, uh, users in for testing. Yeah. So, so then we're doing the, that, and really the whole sprint is just a Trojan horse to get people to watch, <laughs> watch some customer interviews together to be super excited about seeing what's going to happen. It's like, it's like the day that like the mystery is, you know, it's revealed. You're going to find out what, what happened. The suspense is over. And so it's five one-on-one -on -one customer interviews. And uh, we, we do five because of Jacob Nielsen's research about, about f interviewing with five customers, which I'm, I'm sure you know well. And, and, yeah. um, and also because you can fit five into one day. And yeah. again, that idea of like working memory and what we can kind of quickly like keep in our head and then make like a, a really fast decision about. You can do that with five interviews. So... So the team can all sit together and watch. And that's so powerful because then the researcher doesn't have to write a report, come back and try to convince people who didn't see the same stuff. Yeah, and it never comes through in the report. And yeah. usability reports always sound so accusational. You know? like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this yeah. Is this is wrong. And like, they didn't understand yeah. this. They're terrible. No, I agree. I like that. That's just, I, I, I think the, almost all, like 80% of the value comes from the people sitting there. Totally. And then, you know, totally. Uh, sitting there watching it in real time and talking to each other while it's happening. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. That's where all the sort of empathy gets built around what we're doing and who we're doing it for. Stuff. Yeah. And it's a, you know, it's a, it's kind of a simple trick, but the trick is that you, you get so much 
empathy, so much uh, sort of exploratory discovery research, understanding your market, understanding whether there's a, there's a market for this product can come out of what we normally think of as usability tests. And usability tests are pretty low status on most teams. Most people think like, oh, we're just, I guess that's something we sort of have to do at the end. And mm-hmm. yeah, then the accusational report comes back and there's like a fight. Right. About no, I've had people often, I think they kind of lump it in with like QA, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, Somebody's going to go test the code. Somebody's going to t- go test the interface yeah. and then they'll open a bunch of issues in GitHub and we'll yeah. fix it. Right, right. And it's like, oh yeah, we got to do Okay, we got to do that. But what's what's interesting here is that people see those interviews and they're like, oh wow, like this is like, this is like a place you can start. And uh, right. that's, that's really kind of, that's really, it's fun to see that. It's fun to see folks who have not seen those interviews before, see them on Friday and they'd be like, oh wow, this is a different way for us to work. Yeah, yeah. No, but you guys now have like the the secret sauce of having an amazing researcher who's yeah. really good at at being objective, but also putting people at ease and you know things like that. Most people don't have those skills in house. That's true. And Mike Michael is he is totally amazing. And I think uh, it's you know, and we we are we are really lucky to be able to run. Uh, like he's going to be able to come in and talk to any kind of customer and just ask questions in this really. It's really like calm, like you know, he he he's he comes in, he says, oh, you know, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know anything about this, but could you tell me? And then he asks these great questions, and but what I think is cool that he's he's done over the past few years is to really think about what what kind of skills does a startup have? Does any startup have? What are like the the things that anybody can do, and what's sort of a recipe that they can follow for the interview, so that somebody who doesn't have that experience, they're not going to get, you know, we don't expect people to get a Michael level interview, but but there are things that anyone can do, and they can have a good interview. They can they can learn a lot from from doing one of those interviews. And he puts so much in, into that book. Uh, we have what we call like a five act interview that really follows the structure that Michael that Michael follows in his interviews and and really breaking down a lot of the body language stuff and the the ways he frames the questions so that we think it's pretty it's it's pretty easy to get it right you know even if you're not going to get it perfect so oh let me ask you just one other question about the usability testing which is recruiting and finding subjects uh, yeah. I know I've seen you mention just posting ads on Craigslist, but yeah, that feels, that just feels daunting. Like it just feels like so much logistical work, like getting people to physically come to your office and, yeah. um, and making sure they show up and giving them the right incentives to do it. Like right. you have to right. pay you them must, money, right? You have to bribe them. Yeah. You got to bribe them to come in. They're not going to show up and getting the incentives right is really important. If you, uh, you know, if, if you, if you can't afford to pay people, whatever it kind of takes and it's, you know, it depends on it depends on who you're recruiting and and what right. what city you're recruiting in, but um, but if you can't pay people, you are going to have no shows. That's that is that's definitely going to happen. And even if you do pay people, you're sometimes going to have no shows. I think that the one of the keys is um, thinking through who who you want to get and where those where you're going to find those people. There are a huge yeah. you know some huge swath of customer that you you can find on Craigslist. So we've had luck in the past doing that. 
Um, more recently, we actually have found there are some new services coming up that do recruiting specifically for these kind of interviews and have a really fast turnaround time. Historically, those, those services are expensive and slow. And so, you know, cheaper and fast is like, surprise, that's a, right. <laughs> that's a lot better yeah. way to, to do it. Um, and, and so it looks, it looks kind of promising that that might be a, a, you know, a better way to go. But again, that's going to cost more money. So the yeah. other appeal of Craigslist is how, how cheap it is. Um, but the, the key to making Craigslist work and really to making any, no matter where, even if you're just talking to people in your network, you know, cause you need to recruit, uh, you know, if you're doing a product for astrophysicists and you're going to have to talk to your astrophysicist friends, cause you're not going to be able to recruit enough on Craigslist. The, the key is to have a, a survey or, you know, a questionnaire that you're going to ask them and you'll know which answers are the right answers and they won't know. And then, you're sure that you're really narrowed down to the right set of, right. of people. And so when we post an ad on Craigslist, there's a, there's a questionnaire that will ask people to fill out and, and then you can go through and if you get 300 responses, but you go through that, that spreadsheet and you see like, okay, here's all the people who answered the questions in the right way. And then for the open-ended questions, here's the people who are sort of more talkative. They're likely to, to be more engaged, likely more likely to show up. Obviously, like there's a huge sampling bias there. It's not like this is like a scientific method, but um, but it works. So you do, so usually if you do all those things with Craigslist, and we we do talk about it a bit on, in the book, and uh, and Michael has posts online, um, you can you can find people. They'll show up. And have you had any success with remote usability testing, like some of the services, like I don't know, UserTesting.com or some of those? Uh, we, well, I'll answer that. I'll give two answers to that. The first one is just like, we've done a lot of remote testing through, you know, just like, like Michael or whoever's running the interview doing it over, um, we usually use go to meeting and, and just dialing in the person wherever they are. So obviously they're at home and they're they're at home. Yeah. Yeah. Or they're at their office or whatever. And then obviously that opens up the, the audience that you can potentially recruit much, much broader. And it's really necessary for lots of products who have a, who have a very specific kind of customer. But um, yeah, there are like, I don't think we have found a broad use for something like usertesting.com mm-hmm. in our sprints. That's not to say that there aren't cases where people have used it and, and it's been valuable to them, but it's it's really critical to be able to um, to guide the interview yourself to be able to yeah. you know, ask the questions and so when that's not there it's it's tough so you yeah. know, being able to find like the right people who are not too primed on on you know on testing stuff and then also to be able to ask the questions um, but hopefully I, I hope that there will be more and more services that make this easier as more and more people yeah. are doing it. I think there's a lot of opportunity there. I have used uh, remote usability testing, but it was sort of later on in the process. Uh, I mean, we could do probably a whole nother podcast for what happens after the sprint. Yeah, yeah. But I have found for things where, you know, like I was working a couple years ago on a project with a uh, onboarding, right? Brand new users, introduction to the service, get a bunch of data from them and then present them with with the output. And, you know, we were iterating and iterating and iterating and trying to make the usability of that onboarding process as tight as possible, as intuitive as possible. So we would do some changes later that day, do four or five rounds of 20-minute remote tests, quickly review, you know, spend an hour watching those uh, test results, 
and then do another iteration the next day. And we just kept doing, you know, there would be no way that I would have brought 50 people in for a series of 20 minute tests, right. but doing it like that with a really clear guide of like, step one, go here, step two, fill yeah. this out, step, you know, I found, you know, you don't get nearly the richness of the responses, the verbal responses, but it was, I, th I found much better than just quantitative analysis of dropping off at ste yeah, steps at the totally. funnel, you know? That's, so. that's really interesting. And yeah, and that's the key is that usually it's that, it kind of goes back to that early question about what's a problem that's too big and what's a problem that's too small. And so usually you wouldn't want to do all of the steps of a design sprint for, for that late stage thing. But that late stage thing really benefits from that mode of like, we're going to watch people do it. We're going to take notes together. We're going to then like turn it right around, turn it right around. And uh, yeah, and then that kind of tool works great. Yeah, awesome. Well, this has been great. I want to point everybody, obviously, to the book. They should uh, buy it and they should read it. I'll put a link to that in the notes for the cool. show. Uh, I have also really been enjoying SprintStories.com. Yeah, it's been kind of cool. Yeah, where you're like, you're basically collecting from all over Medium where people are posting. There's a bunch of different authors to this, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And, and anyone can and should submit their their story and so i think it's just uh if you if you if you look there you'll see it but it's really helpful for um for everyone to be able to see how people are applying a design sprint inside you know teams at government are doing it teams at schools teams at all different kinds of companies and i think it helps people figure out like okay that's how i could adapt it to make it work for me so yeah yeah i saw a really good article also on um i don't have it in front of me here but on convincing your team that yeah. you should be doing a sprint, which I thought was really, really good. And so I'll find that and put a link to the notes uh, in the notes as well. And you're at uh, Jake Knapp on Twitter. Is that right? Uh, Jake K. Jake K. Yeah. Yeah. There is a Jake Knapp. There's a Jake Knapp, but it's, it's not, it's not me. We go back and forth sometimes because, uh... <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Jake K. Cool. Well, uh, people should follow you there. You can learn a lot more about the process and the evolution of the methodologies and stuff like that. Man, this is a great conversation, Jake. It's good to catch up again. Yeah. It's great to talk to you, Jeff. Thanks for, thanks for having me on, man. Absolutely. Take care. See ya. And that's another episode of Presentable. Hey, got any questions? You can email us at hello at presentable.fm or get in touch via Twitter by following Presentable FM. We hope you've really enjoyed the show. And if you do, could you take a moment and give us a rating on iTunes? It really helps and we'd really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jeffrey Veen, and this was Presentable. Presentable.